Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. God is good indeed. Let's turn next, next to 1 Kings 19. As we sing God's praise, we also come to confess our sins uh, as soon as we draw near. 1 Kings 19, this is right after uh, Elijah has his Mount Carmel uh, interaction with the prophets and the altars of fire. Chapter 19, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then as he lay and sat under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank. And he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights, as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. Thus far the reading of God's word. Elijah did the right thing on Mount Carmel. He suffered the wrath of Jezebel for it. God provided for Elijah, but he had to flee into the wilderness for 40 days. 40 days is a significant number in the Bible. Moses and Elijah and Jesus all fasted for 40 days in service to God. And over time, the church developed the practice of Lent, 40 days before Easter, to focus on the earthly ministry of Jesus, his suffering, denial, the state of humiliation for us. Over the years, Lent was corrupted to some simplistic and self-righteous practices, and the Reformers mostly rejected this season because of those corruptions. But we do see some wisdom in focusing on the life of Christ in the calendar year. We do this at Christmas with the Incarnation, His ministry and self-denial during Lent, His suffering and death on Good Friday, His resurrection at Easter. The key is to stay focused on Jesus more than our own works of self-denial in this time. And we look to what he did centrally. And then we ask ourselves, are we taking up our cross? Are we denying ourselves and following Jesus as he calls us to do? This reminds us of our need to confess our sins. I encourage you to kneel if you're able, and I'll pray our prayer of confession. Take up our Bibles again if you have them. 1 Peter chapter 5 for our sermon text. Uh, For those of you visiting with us, you've come on the last Sunday in a way. This is the last sermon on 1 Peter. We're finishing a sermon series there. And uh, next week, 
Christopher Coe will be with us uh, preaching uh, a, a message on uh, the death of Jesus and uh, a Lenten theme. First uh, Peter 5 is where we'll begin. Verse 8. Hear God's infallible word. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you. And so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. And God's people said, Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, you've given us your word. You've given us your spirit. You have given us your son. You are a God who gives because you love. And so we receive these gifts gratefully. Help us to receive them well, to use them diligently as we hear you speak in your word, as we uh, meditate upon this in this message, uh, may we become and seek to be more like Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, last sermon here on First Peter. And if you remember, the context Peter's in here is there is suffering or persecution that is beginning uh, with his readers. And he writes them to establish them in the faith. And so what we have here in, in the end is the same kind of thing. In the face of hostile forces, God establishes us securely in Christ. That's Peter's main point. And he does that partly by our fellowship together. And that's really the three points of the message today. In the face of hostile forces, our adversary, and then God establishing us securely in grace, in Christ. And then last, looking at the fellowship, uh, the names that Peter mentions at the very end. So that's where we'll start. We begin with our adversary. Why do we have to be sober and vigilant? Verse 8, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Uh, the first striking thing I've thought of there is that, that Satan is described as a lion, right? And there's, scripture often mixes metaphors like this. When we think of a lion often in scripture, we, we think of the lion of the tribe of Judah, right? A lion is a noble beast, the king of the jungle, right? It's a, it's a royal picture. But metaphors can mix. And one thing that the ancient world knew well about lions too is that they're predators and they're dangerous and they can kill you. And perhaps some of uh, Peter's readers thought even of the arena and the lions in the arena. Satan is like that. He is an adversary who is dangerous and, and who can destroy us. Satan is an adversary. He's opposed to us. He wants to see us fail. He wants to see us suffer. He wants to see us destroyed. Uh, and he sought to kill Jesus at his birth using the beast, 
in, in um, Matthew 1, we see Herod seeking Jesus to kill him. And that's Revelation language, Revelation 12. We just had the study in Exodus 1 where we saw Pharaoh doing the same thing to the Israelite baby boys. They're seeking to stamp out God's people. Uh, so Satan is an adversary who can uh, tear and uh, destroy in that kind of way. But it's also true that Satan is a tethered lion, as one of the commentators I read said. He's a, he's a tethered lion. Think of Job, right? Where Job has to ask God's permission what to do to... Uh, Satan has to ask God's permission what to do to Job, right? Uh, so he's a tethered lion. It's not like uh, God and Satan are, are out there duking it out and we're just caught in between. No, Satan is a tethered lion. Uh, but he's a lion who can overpower you. Uh, that's something that we ought to remember. We, on our own, are no match for Satan. We sing this in our classic hymnody, right? His craft and power are great. On earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? Those are striking words, right? We, we need to be careful. We need to stay vigilant. Uh, we need to resist. Uh, the word is there in verse 9 at the beginning. So uh, resist, uh, be vigilant. Uh, there were, uh, in France in the 1700s in the Reformation, there were many Huguenots who resisted. And there's one story told there were many women, wives of reformers, who would be imprisoned, uh, and often for years. And they'd be imprisoned for a few months and then asked if they're willing to recant, then we'll let you free. And many of them uh, resisted and were imprisoned for years, decades, in, in one tower. And they've, they've uh, gone back to that tower and we find scratched into the stone the French word resiste, resist. And that's what the Protestants did. Resisting is a long-term project. It was for those women and it is for us too. This is not a one-moment thing. Right? If when we see Jesus tempted by the, the devil in the wilderness, it's over 40 days for one thing. We get three instances, but it says he withdrew until an opportune time. Right? Satan was going to be back. And it, he isn't just back in Gethsemane, and he isn't just back at certain little points. Satan comes back and comes back and comes back, just like Potiphar's wife with Joseph, day by day by day, every day lie with me. We have similar kinds of temptations that are always there, always available today. Resistance is a long-term project. So uh, we're called to resist this lion who can overpower you, so stay vigilant. Uh, one thing that I've, uh, some advice that came to me once in this regard, uh, a pastor speaking to pastors, and hopefully this, will, this can translate to you in, in a different way, perhaps. But one thing that uh, this, this pastor said to us is, pastors have to watch out for personal temptation at certain times. And one of those times is Sunday night or Monday. After the big work is done and you're kind of relieved and relaxed, Often that's when Satan will come and attack, when you're off guard. You're done with the main work, and now you're, you're um, off guard when the heavy lifting is done. That might be a different time of the week for you, but keep in mind that that's, a, that's one pattern that Satan uses. He finds an opportune time. He doesn't fight fair. 
He's going to find your weakest moment and attack there. So resist. Um, some people uh, say that w- when we're confronting Satan, we should uh, not flee, we should resist, right? The Bible never tells us to run away from the devil, uh, some people say. Um, I don't think we should presume that we can always overcome temptation. Removing yourself is one way of resisting. And that's what Joseph does uh, with Potiphar's wife. There is a time to just get out of that situation. That's the best way to resist. It's, 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 sometimes it's foolhardy, I think, to say, no, I need to stay and resist. Well, it, what if you can just leave and that's the best way to get out of the temptation? So uh, be careful not to be too absolute on that. Re- resisting the devil comes by sometimes just moving somewhere else. Well, uh, Peter uh, is one example of that, right? Peter in the garden, uh, he thought he was fine. Jesus even tells him, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you, right? And Peter's saying, I'll never deny you. I will stand by you. Uh, We need to be careful. A lion can overpower you. But you can control a lion. You can tame a lion. You can capture a lion. If you have a team, if you have a plan, if you have tools, you can capture a lion. They, they, uh, this is how it goes in uh, the jungle where the lions roam free and the village will send out a team uh, to go and capture a lion that's coming and encroaching on the village. Uh, what that uh, teaches us, I think, is that resisting is often a team project. And that's something we don't think of very often. When we think of temptation, when we think of the devil coming at us, we're always thinking about it like a one-on-one, like Jesus with the devil. And that's often what does happen. We're, we're individually tempted. I'm not saying we aren't. But resistance often should be a team project. God places us in families for that very reason. That, that's part of the purpose of a family, is that together as a team, we're working together to be godly and to ward off temptation. Resisting is a team project. Uh, so this is our adversary, the devil. He's an accuser. He's a slanderer. These are other words that Jesus uses of him. As I thought of those terms and and the news this week, I thought, uh, you know, the devil is a master at propaganda. That's what he's really good at. He can tell all kinds of half-truths and lies uh, to paint a picture for you that's false to get you to do what he wants. That's the devil. Get you to rely on the wrong things. Get you to believe the wrong things. And the examples of that are many. Uh, How many times, perhaps you struggle one way, perhaps another. But Satan can get you to think things like, no one really cares about me. I can't do anything right. I'm never going to beat this addiction to sin. Those are lies that Satan will tell to get you to despair. And it's propaganda that we should not believe. It's like he says to Adam and Eve in the garden. Hey, if you eat this fruit, you're going to be like God. It's a half-truth, right? But they were disobeying God, listening to Satan's word instead of God's. Well, that's our adversary. We need to be sober, to be vigilant, to resist him, steadfast in the faith. And again, as I mentioned, it's a team project. That last part of verse 9 is interesting to me. Uh, One way we need to resist, one thing we need to do as we are resisting the devil, is to remember that our brotherhood in the whole world is experiencing this. 
That's interesting, and I'm going to come back to that. Uh, everyone faces, every believer faces this um, adversary and is fighting against him and is resisting him. We're all, and we ought to all, in a sense, be doing this together or at least being mindful of one another. So that's verses 8 and 9. Now verse 10, But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. This has become such a precious verse to me in the last few months. I've used it for our commission and our benediction often because of that. God is going to establish us, is the point here. And it may seem like a sharp left turn, uh, like what's the connection between verse 10 and, and the, the adversary? But the connection is, is clear. Our adversary, adversary is trying to unsettle us, to disestablish us, to throw us off, to, to take us down. And Peter says, God's promise is that that's not going to happen. God's going to establish you, whatever the adversary is trying to do. And he's the God of all grace. He begins with. That's precious. Uh, we need to rely on God's grace alone. God's grace. Uh, it reminded me of the, the new Luther movie that's out. Uh, favorite scene of that is when Luther is preaching for one of the first times. And this is an actual quote of what Luther said or wrote somewhere. He says, When the devil throws your sins in your face and declares to you that you deserve death and hell, tell him this. I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? For I know one who has suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God. And where he is, there I will be also. That's one way to resist the devil. God's, and that's also God, by his grace, establishing us. Because he's given us Christ to take away that accusation. So, uh, God, uh, may the God of all grace, who has called us into his eternal glory, after you've suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen you. It's future tense notice. We suffer now. We are still being established, right? Uh, and this is, there's, a, there's two aspects to this, right? We can say that we have already been saved. We've been justified. The cross has happened. We are in God's favor now. But there's also an aspect of we are still being saved, right? There are still dangers about us. We're still not fully sanctified. So uh, our full establishment is still coming. And only God can do these things. Verse uh, 12, I've written to you testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. Uh, how do we stand? By God's grace. That's why we read from Galatians 3 today. The Galatians were having a hard time remembering that. They wanted to go back to the works of the law and rely on their obedience uh, to believe that they were in God's favor. And Paul says, no, you started by grace through faith. You need to continue in that way. Not that we disregard or don't try to obey God, but we don't go to that to see our favor with God. So we are established by grace. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had it, sometimes we face events that make us realize how vulnerable we are, that we, we face events like that. I've had that a couple of times just in the last week. I'm driving into town, and a car is coming at me, and all of a sudden it crosses the center line, and then it gets back just in time. It's like, oh, that reminds you, that's just a small thing, there are, there are bigger ones that remind us how vulnerable 
we are. We hear the news about uh, shootings in churches, and that reminds us that we can make some plans to prevent trouble and accidents, but we are not in total control of what God brings into our lives for good or ill. We don't make ourselves to stand in the grace of God by our vigilance. God gives us vigilance by his grace. It's the other way around. God gives us grace to have whatever vigilance, whatever protection we we can have. So we can resist if we're established in grace. That's one way to connect these two. Uh, I had an interesting thing this week. We had to push our car out of the garage. The The car wouldn't start. So we had to push it out so we could get at the, the hood a little better. So the car was, pushed, was driven up you know, within a foot of the wall of the garage. So we had to just push it out, put it in neutral, push it out. So I thought, oh man, pushing a car, haven't done this for a while. But, but we had the wall behind us, and so it was pretty easy to just push leverage against the wall and push, and the thing just went right out real smooth, real easy. Because we had this thing established behind us. See, that's, that's the point. Uh, we can resist... We have more force if we're established in grace, if we've got a solid wall uh, to push against or to stand on. So uh, we're established in grace, and that's uh, the core, the source of resisting the devil. So if you want to know how to live wisely in these crazy times, you've got to start here. Established in the gospel, the grace of God to you in Christ. Uh, when I wrote that sentence, I thought, ah, John MacArthur's grace to you, right? He's got his, that ministry, and that's what he calls it, grace to you. And in a way, that sums up the whole Christian life. It sums up the whole history of the world. Grace to you. That's what God has done. In Jesus Christ, nothing can separate us from the love of God. We are more than conquerors. And again, when I wrote that down, I thought, what does it mean exactly that we're more than conquerors? We hear that phrase a lot. Ever wondered what the more is? What does that mean? I'm not sure exactly. I didn't have a lot of time to uh, ponder it this week. But I I thought uh, there's more to the blessing of God than just resisting evil, avoiding evil, conquering sin. There's more than that. What more is there? I think Peter tells us in the very next verse. Verse 11, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's what's called a doxology, right? Giving praise to God. To, to God be the praise, the glory, the dominion. That's a doxology. And when we, when we praise God like that, that's the more than conquering, right? Not only are we to resist the adversary, we're called and we're made to praise God, and to do it together, and that's what we do when we sing the Gloria Patri and the doxology here, or if you do that at home. That's, that's the more than conquering that we're brought into, the, the, the divine life. We're brought into, into fellowship with the Father, Son, and Spirit. That's what we're made for, and it's glorious. And so Peter closes with that. So we've looked at resisting, we've looked at being established in grace, and then Peter looks at his fellowship too briefly. Uh, and the, the main point of this section, just to tie it all together, is this. You are better established when you know you have faithful companions. 
that God gives us, of course, the gospel of grace. Christ is our central need. But God gives us all kinds of gifts, like I prayed. We've got the word, we've got the spirit, we've got the son, and we've got a fellowship together. That's all meant to, be, uh, to go together. You're better established when you know you have faithful companions. Uh, Sylvanus is the first one Peter mentions. And we're pretty sure that is the, the same name as Silas. So if you remember Paul and Silas singing in prison, that's the same guy, Sylvanus and Silas. Peter and Paul probably uh, dictated their letters, and a secretary like Silas would write it, or maybe deliver it, or both. So that's what Silas is doing. He's doing the actual writing as Paul is, is uh, speaking out loud what he wants to say. Uh, so the, the next, uh, in verse 13, Peter says, She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you. Some people think that's Peter's wife. Uh, probably not. It's probably referring to uh, the church, uh, the church uh, collectively. And he says Babylon, which is interesting, right? Uh, Babylon here, Peter is writing most likely from Rome. And Peter is uh, uh, taking a, a biblical picture of Babylon, that's that wicked city, and applying it to his present day city, which is pretty interesting and gives us some warrant to do uh, analogous things today, I think. Uh, Babylon is Rome. Uh, take a pagan wicked city today that you, could, you can think of Las Vegas as a Babylon of sorts, for example. But there's believers gathered there. She who is in Las Vegas, elect together with you, greets you. That's, that's something of the gist of what Peter is saying here. Uh, so Peter's um, bringing together these other people, bringing them to mind for his readers. And he's doing that, not, this is more than just a custom. Uh, this is Peter saying, here's the team. Here's the fellowship. If we're resisting together, here's who we're working with. Uh, so this kind of greeting, we continue this practice today in the church. Uh, listen for it next week. I, I bet you'll hear it when Christopher Coe comes. Uh, guest preachers will usually give greetings from the church that they come from, Right? That's the same kind of thing that Peter's doing here. Uh, these people with me greet you. Uh, by the way, Mark, uh, in, at the end of verse 13, this is most likely the gospel writer, John Mark, who wrote the second gospel. It's uh, believed by most that Mark wrote that gospel with Peter's help. And he probably did that around the same time as he's writing First Peter. So Peter is kind of standing behind Mark as Mark's writing out the gospel. Uh, that's why uh, there's quite a bit of focus on Peter in Mark's gospel. That's, um, so that's Mark. There's more that could be said about him. But uh, moving on to verse 14, greet one another with a kiss of love. Now, this uh, in high school, I was um, uh, inflicted a, with a youth pastor from our liberal seminary nearby who uh, tried really hard to get all of us conservative reform kids to stop believing that the Bible was, sh should be taken literally. It was an awful experience. And one of the verses that he pointed to was this one. He says, greet one another with a kiss of love. Well, are we gonna take that literally? Come on, everybody. That was his argument. It was quite foolish, I think. The, the point is, th there's a cultural expression here, a cultural custom. The principle is, there needs to be affection, there needs to be warmth, there needs to be cordiality among believers, right? 
Uh, and that's something we ought to consider. That, that's uh, that's uh, good for us to remember. Uh, we don't want to be uh, too distant, too formal. We want to be together, united together. You're better established when you know you have faithful companions with you. Uh, one uh, struggle that I've had watching, observing the church in conservative settings in the last 15 years or so is that one thing I've seen is that uh, those who are most keen to resist the devil, uh, those who are most motivated to fight the culture war, uh, they are the ones who usually have a harder time getting along with other Christians. And I don't know what it is. that Sometimes it's, they just have too high a view of their own opinions so they can't fight alongside, they can't fellowship with other believers very well. And that's something that uh, Scripture, I think, points us to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Or uh, maybe one way to put it here uh, at, at, at the end is Peter's telling us to gather a team around you, uh, a team of faithful friends and mentors. Peter had Silas and Mark, right there he names them. Paul had Luke and Timothy and Titus, and Epaphras, and Phoebe, and Priscilla, and Aquila, and Barnabas, and the list goes on and on. Now, this team won't be perfect in themselves. Scripture shows us that sometimes when they make mistakes themselves. But having a team like that helps us to resist the, the adversary. It helps us to be established in the grace of the gospel. This is the book of Peter, people of God. In the face of hostile forces, God establishes us securely in Christ. He's going to settle you. He's going to strengthen and establish and perfect you. He does that partly by our fellowship together in Christ. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for Peter's ministry. Uh, for the mistakes that we can learn from in his life, uh, for the infallible words we have from his pen here. Uh, Lord, we do pray that you would establish us, that you would settle us. Lord, there are so many unsettling things that happen in the news, in our own daily lives, uh, that uh, concern us, that bring anxiety into our lives. Uh, some of that is natural, Lord, but we ask that you would help us to cast our cares upon you. Uh, for you are indeed the rock. Uh, and you are building us together as living stones into a church, a temple, that's fitting and ready to offer you sacrifice. And so even as uh, Peter mentions our suffering frequently in this text, uh, we thank you that you have given us the promise to establish us in grace, to perfect us, uh, to bring us to you in perfect unity and harmony. Uh, Lord, we lift up this prayer thankful uh, for your intention for us, your people. And as we do, we pray in the name of Christ and we sing as he taught us to pray. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law, and those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. 
If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. A wise man once said that the best way to resist the devil is to cultivate the virtues opposite to what he wants you to do. Instead of direct opposition or defiance to the person of Satan, practice charity and gentleness and self-control and joy. And we do this here at the Lord's table. A central practice to the Christian life is to receive blessing from God with gratitude. That's central to what we do. If you see and appreciate God's grace to you in Christ at the cross, if you look around here and you appreciate that the Spirit is working to draw us into union with Christ and with one another, when we're truly thankful for that, that's one of the best bulwarks against, our, against the attacks of the adversary. And so we're called to receive blessing from God with gratitude. That reminds me of the poem I love to read at, at communion. It's by George Herbert called Love. Love bade me welcome, yet my soul drew back, guilty of dust and sin. But quick-eyed love, observing me grow slack from my first entrance in, drew nearer to me, sweetly questioning if I lacked anything. A guest, I answered, worthy to be here. And love said, you shall be he. I, the unkind, the ungrateful, ah, my dear, I cannot look on thee. Love took my hand and smiling did reply, who made the eyes but I? Truth, Lord, but I have marred them. Let my shame go where it doth deserve. And know you not, says love, who bore the blame? My dear, then I will serve. You must sit down said love, and taste my meat. So I did sit and eat. God calls us to receive. He gives us this by his grace, and we need to receive that love with gratitude. So let us keep our eyes fixed on Christ as we do. As we partake of the Lord's Supper, we invite you to the Lord's table. All those who are baptized and under the authority of Christ and his body, the church, as we eat the bread and drink the wine together, you are acknowledging that you are a sinner without hope except in God's sovereign mercy, that you are trusting in Christ alone for your salvation. So come and welcome. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.